Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today we have a special episode. It's episode 200. And I am super excited to bring you probably one of my top five people in the world outside. Well, I'd have to say six because I have you know five in my immediate family. So um, top six people in the world, um, Chris Harder. Chris has had such an impact on my life and on Kara's life over the last couple of years, as well as his wife, Lori. Um, and actually the, the show wouldn't even exist. Uh, the investing for freedom podcast. I really honestly don't know if I ever would have launched it if it wasn't for you, Mr. Chris Harder. So thank you for being on the show. Oh my God. Number one, what an honor. Wouldn't miss it. Number two, you guys are family. I mean, straight family to Lori and I. So to watch how quickly the show has grown in just a few years, you know, since we brainstormed this thing up and everything else. It's been really cool to watch that journey. So congrats on a milestone, 200 episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And when I think back to you, there's so many things that I want to cover today. But when I think back to, um, you know, late 2019, when Carol was bringing up joining the Elite Entrepreneur Mastermind, um, I was kind of like, you know, just really trying to debate whether that was the fit. And then I remember getting on the phone with you in the minute that I was just like in your energy and started talking about, you know, where it could go and what I wanted to do. I'm like, I, I knew I needed to, you know, just lean in. And, and that's what, that's what I think is so important and exciting about just being, you know, led in life is just is when you know, you need to jump into something, you just do it. And, and the outcome has just been amazing. You and Lori have had such a, a profound impact on our lives. And then when you think about what happened in 2020 too, honestly, just being surrounded. And I want to go into some of that at some point on the interview, but being surrounded by your energy and just so much was changing then. I, I don't know that it would have been the same for me if it wasn't being around you and your positivity and just the organization and the people that you've built. So super honored. Oh. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I love, uh, I want to, I want to throw this out there cause this is probably one of the most uh, exciting phrases, but you know, as a successful entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist, you always say this, but you believe that when good people make good money, they do great things. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, Lori and I, and for those listening, Lori is my wife and we don't normally podcast together, but you'll see why in a minute. We just did an episode together, uh, with Tony Robbins and that'll be coming out soon. And in that episode, we talked about philanthropy and the effect it has when what you're willing to build, what you're willing to do, when a huge component of it is for other people's benefit, it'll, you'll run through a wall that you wouldn't normally run through. Like when you do something for yourself, you'll do pretty good. But let's be honest, we let ourselves off the hook a lot. But when you do something for somebody else, now you're willing to get a little bit, you know, deeper into the the mud. Now you're willing to do the things that are a little bit scarier. Now you're willing to to get a little bit more exhausted. You're always willing to go further when you're playing the hero for somebody else than you are for yourself. And I've had that trait of generosity in me ever since I was a, a kid. Um, and I can tell you exactly where it came from. You know, for the parents listening out there, my parents would always make my brother and I figure out the tip uh, when we'd go to to dinner, and then make us round up or make us make it bigger and explain why, you know, mm. Hey, the, the waiter or waitress is away from their family, you know, serving our family while, you know, while we're enjoying ourselves. 
or at church when the offering plate would come through. You know, we were just a, a middle class family, maybe barely upper middle class in, in the Midwest. And um, but when the, the offering plate would come through, I noticed we'd put more money in than the other people. And mm. afterwards, we'd, we'd go to brunch after church and we'd discuss like why we put more money in the offering plate and why it's important. And gosh, even like Christmas time, mom would adopt all these families and we'd go out, we'd shop for the gifts and we'd wrap them. And those are some of my best dang memories on the planet. So I think my parents did a great job of instilling generosity as a core value and as a trait. And then that just grew into everything else that we that we wanted to do and everything else that we wanted to build. I love that so much. And you know, I've always said for years, and I've realized this in my own life, um, Karen, I used to run a youth ministry years ago. I don't even know if we've ever talked about that. But I always realized that, you know, as we teach, we learn. And one of the things that I've realized, just being with you in the last couple of years, and Karen, I joined your year and Lori's couples mastermind this last year. And to, to your point, when you do these kind of things, um, you know, there, there's a lot of times in life where, you know, I don't want to show up. I'm tired and I probably wouldn't show up. But when we do things like that, or like the couple's mastermind that you put together, I'm sure, I'm sure there's many times where you don't want to show up, but same for the people that are participating, like even showing up for each other. I think going through that process with you guys, Karen, and I showed up for each other in a way that we probably wouldn't have, if it hadn't been for being part of that group and that accountability. And it's been the same for every mastermind that I've been in with you too. So I really appreciate it. It's interesting. You, you referenced that. To really show up the way you have to, to get to the next level, you have to have skin in the game, major skin in the game, in one of two ways. Either you invested, and now you've got that skin in the game, so you're going to show up when you don't want to because you invested so much. Or the other skin in the game is what we are talking about before. Mm -hmm. Something big is at stake for other people. And you know that if you don't show up for you, eh, you'll be fine. You'll put the pieces together later. But if you don't show up for somebody else, that skin in the game is what makes you be like, I can't let that person down. Yeah, I, you know, I got to go, go, go that extra mile for the other people. So if you can have skin in the game in those two ways, mm. you're going to go much further in life than if you're just kind of trotting through trying to do things for yourself. So good. I got to jump into the four questions because um, we got to get through them. And otherwise, I'd turn this into a 15 15- uh, <laughs> Sorry, did we hijack? The, no, no, the not at all. I actually think that that was amazing. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's even important that we stay on a certain format. But I'm really curious around these questions for you. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Consistency. Um, I'll tell you what. I am so blessed to to have Lori in my life because she is the epitome of consistency. Like she can eat the same dang kale salad every single night for the rest of our lives and be perfectly happy. And I'm not built that way. Consistency is not a superpower of mine. Matter of fact, I want to dream and then I want to move on to the next dream. And then I want to move on to the next dream without putting in the consistency to make a lot of those dreams happen. Mm. And the consistency that she has helped to instill in my life from a physical standpoint, like consistently working out uh, to a spiritual standpoint, consistently doing our, our prayers and meditations and routines to a business standpoint where, you know, she works her tail off day in and day out. And, and so that makes me work my tail off day in and day out. Consistency has for sure been what has delivered a lot of the success. It's been such an honor and a privilege watching you guys on that consistency front. I mean, there's been a couple of times where, you know, we've been going to have calls with a group of people or whatever. And you're like, can't do it till this time because you guys really protect your mornings, right? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we call it protected time. And we know that we got to fill our cups up first 
so that we can give to everybody else from the part that's pouring over, right? From a full cup. And, and all too often, I see too many people that are trying, like they, they've got the right idea, they've got the right heart, but they're trying to, to give to others from a totally empty cup. And, that's, and it sneaks up on you. You know, you start skipping a workout here and you start skipping reading here and you start skipping, a, a you know, something like a, a mastermind or an educational course over here. You, you start skipping your, your healthy meal and it sneaks up on you. And before you know it, you are just trying to pull from a place of empty, no matter how good your intentions are, that's going to be a recipe for burnout and you're not going to be any good for anybody else. And so that protected time in the morning for us right now, it's, it's 10 o'clock. Um, nobody can get a hold of us unless it is really close friends or immediate family. Mm. And sometimes that's a very difficult boundary to uphold because uh, there's great opportunities and great people and, and things that you want to say yes to. But if we say yes to those things, then we'll say yes to another and we'll say yes to another and it'll sneak up on us. And before you know it, we'll be trying to pour from an empty cup too. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've thought, you know what, it's just one bad meal, right? But then pretty soon you're like three months down the road and um, I, here's Chubby Mike. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. I know Chubby Chris. Totally. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? When Lori and I lost everything in 2009, that has to be our greatest setback. And what I learned from it was my, my love of entrepreneurship. I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always had that bug in me. But I sure as heck didn't have the, the cojones to go out and walk away from my, my job at the bank and, and go and start these things. Well, once you're forced to, once you're choosing from a place where you have nothing to lose, once your back is against the wall, once, once you feel like you are at your lowest, worst point in life, the beautiful thing about that, and I'm not going to try and convince anyone that it feels good in the moment. It does not. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about that is you get to choose again because you got nothing but choice in front of you. And so us, for example, this is when we chose not just entrepreneurship, but I got to choose how I wanted to show up in the world. Mm -hmm. I got to choose that I wanted to operate with less ego. I got to choose that I wanted to operate from a bigger place of service. I got to choose that I wanted to create things that made people's lives better when they left me than when they first found me. Those were choices that I wasn't making or wasn't able to conveniently make when I was just stuck on that freight train that was my career in banking back then. And so, again, not that it feels good in the moment when you're starting from below zero, but it, there's a lot of beautiful gifts in there that you can't ignore. And you're going to look back on that moment. If anyone's listening right now and, and you're there, you're going to look back on that moment and you're going to realize that that was the moment that really shaped you and strengthened you and delivered you to a much, much better place. So good. I love it. If you could share with us, what is the single piece of advice that you think you find yourself sharing the most? Um, I think it's got to be that uh, your success, and this is related back to your first question. I, I kind of want to add this one in too, but I was afraid of getting off on a tangent. So I'm glad you asked this. I like tangents. The number one advice is you got to really watch who you surround yourself with. Mm. And you've got to make sure it's the best of the best of the best. I mean, the best people in your life, the the best influences in your life, uh, the best mentors in your life. You can't surround yourself with pretty good people and expect great results. You can't experience, you can't surround yourself with, with good mentors and experience and, and expect extraordinary businesses. Like it just, the math just doesn't add up because they can't get you there. They haven't been there themselves. And when I say good people, I mean 
everybody. And I understand this is easier said than done. You got to work at it. But Lori and I have had to make some tough, uncomfortable choices to have nothing but the best people around us. But everyone from who you may hire to take care of your home to, I'm not kidding, the guys that come every Monday to wash my my cars, it's 7 a.m. this morning, Mike. They showed up, got out there. They were smiling. They made me feel great. We had a great exchange like we always do. Not, I didn't just choose regular car wash guys. These are guys that show up with a kick-ass attitude and do the job to perfection. They take pride in, I mean, real pride in what they do to, you know, your mentors and your business partners, that whole range of individuals in your life. You can't take shortcuts on anyone that you let into your life. Who you surround yourself is going to completely, completely and utterly make or break you. So good. I have a million questions around that, but we'll circle back to it. So who has had the greatest impact on your life, Chris? My wife, uh, without a doubt. I would love to say my, my father, because he passed away a year and a half ago, and and he had so much, um, such a great impact on me. Uh, and, and my mom, who really was the one that raised me when I was younger, growing up, because dad was off working. Uh, so they definitely get shout outs. But my wife, Lori, who I've been with for 16, you know, married 16 years, together almost 20, my life wouldn't even resemble what it looks like right now without having her in my life. That goes back to when I was talking about the consistency that she's instilled in our life, the standards that she's instilled in our life. Um, she is a really special human being. And I just am fortunate enough to get to go to bed and wake up with her every single day. So good. I love it. I want to circle, um, you, you kind of touched on this already, but this is something that I'm super passionate about. And, you know, a lot of my audience is uh, successful hiring W2 people that are, you know, considering entrepreneurship or investing, or uh, I've got a lot of doctors, lawyers, um, you know, investors already, real estate people kind of all over the board. But one thing that I've really noticed, and I would have fallen into this category prior to meeting you, although I was curious, um, which I think is what really led me to joining your mastermind. Um, you were talking about uh, just, just the, you know, the type of people and the environment um, below zero, what the, the place that, that you were at. Yeah. Starting from below zero. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to your thoughts on how important it is that, you know, people, entrepreneurs, et cetera, build a personal brand in this day and age. And I'll, I'll preface the question, I guess the next level where my thought process comes in on this. When I found you, or actually when Kara introduced me to you and Lori, I was at this place and I've often said this, you know, when you were talking about below zero, um, I was at a place where I had sold my business in 2012. No, it was, yeah, it was 20, uh, it was 2014. And I often said that was the best and worst day of my life. Cause I had spent 10 years of my life. Just, you know, I was this company and that company was me and everything I did was that. And then I woke up one day and I didn't have a brand. And that took me on this little journey of realizing that, you know, it doesn't really matter what I identify with as far as what my career is or what my business is or what my job is or any of that. But I didn't have my awakening until I would say probably three years ago. And I realized that if I didn't build like a personal brand or some identification outside of my current business, then I could find myself in that boat again. And so 2019 was rolling around and Kara had introduced me to you and Lori. She'd been following you guys for a while. And she's like, I really think that maybe we should join Chris's mastermind. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but my initial thought was like, like, why would I do that? Because I didn't really know you. I'd just seen you a couple of times on Instagram. Yeah. And I remember thinking that like, 
And I, I think a lot of business owners think this, and this will get to the meat of my question, and then I'd love to just hear your thoughts on all of it. I think a lot of business owners think that there's people that are really good marketers, and then there's people that are really good business owners, and I don't have to be both. And I think if there's one thing that I've learned from you, number one, you're a genius at marketing, but I think you're a bigger genius at understanding people and being intentional with people and understanding what they need. And you're probably one of the smartest business guys that I've ever met in my life. And I wouldn't have realized that um, the way that I was thinking about it three or four years ago. So how important is it that entrepreneurs, investors, employees build a brand? One, I, I feel like I want to deflect that compliment because I felt like such massive compliments. So, so thank you for that. But I'm just going to receive it um, instead of deflecting it. Listen, building a personal brand is not just important. It is everything as we march quickly into the future. It's been everything for a while now, but I mean, it is everything as we go into the future. I'm going to prove it. So a good friend of mine, Rory Vaden, Rory and AJ Vaden, uh, they conducted a massive study this past year. Matter of fact, they hired a great big firm to do it with them. And they're experts in personal branding. And they wanted to find out just how important is it? Like, how do we quantify how important this is for people's brands? Here's an example. They surveyed everyone from, you know, young to old. Well, in every single millennial aged individual and down that they interviewed, and we're talking about thousands of people in this interview, 81%, I believe, I'm going off memory, 81% said they expect their doctor to have a personal brand. Now, let that sink in for a minute. In the past, it's good enough to just know that your doctor was going to be there at the clinic and someone referred him or her to you and they had a good reputation and right and you had a good experience. Now, they expect their doctor, over 80% of millennials and down, expect their doctor to have a personal brand. That means they expect their doctor to have a blog or a vlog or Instagram that adds value or a podcast that adds value, something like that. Now, people are probably hearing this right now thinking that's ridiculous. If you're a good doctor, you're a good doctor. If you can save a life, you can save a life. But that's not the way those who are voting with their dollar coming up see it. Mm -hmm. They see it as they want to know who is behind the curtain. They want extra value added. They want to be able to dig into the, the content that you offer for free or maybe for a very low investment. Mm -hmm so that they can learn all of the adjacent things that you have to offer, not just pay you for your time and, and get that small chunk during that time. And then as they dug into the study, it held true for their, your accountant. So picture doctor, accountant, real estate agent, all these things that in the past, you just thought that you had to be good and get a good referral. They now want them to have a personal brand. Another thing that stood out was, over 70 some percent, and again, I don't have the study in front of me, but over 70 some percent of all participants surveyed said that they would be willing to pay more for, for a product or a service from a smaller personal brand than from a great big brand that can offer it cheaper. Let that sink in. Over 70% of all respondents said that they would pay more for a product or service from a personal brand that they resonated with instead of a big brand that can offer it cheaper. So no longer is it about price. No longer is it about who's going to give it me the, the best value, the cheapest this or the cheapest that. People demand to know who's behind the curtain. Do your values align with them or not? And it's interesting. I was having this conversation with friends the other day. And we we're talking about how the year of 2020 and 2021 has been where people really had to stick a stake in the ground. Let's face it, society has made 
everybody, every company, every founder say, I support this or that. I stand for this or that. Mm -hmm. And what was fascinating, and I was talking to, to CEOs of multiple, multiple nine-figure companies when we were having this conversation. What's interesting is we were looking at the, the math, if you want to call it that, of who follows you, whether it be it on Instagram or subscribes to your newsletters, you name it. And if you kind of play the middle, maybe 10% of the people that come across your path will follow you and engage in what you have to say or the message you're trying to sell. If you play it down the middle, maybe 10% will engage with you. If you stick your stake in the ground and say, here's absolutely what I stand for, here is absolutely what I believe in. Now, you may have 51% of the people disagree with you, but 49% absolutely say, yep, that's my guy, that's my gal, that's the side I'm on. And now what would you rather have? 10% of people that cross your path follow you and engage with you because you're just kind of playing it safe down the middle or 49% of the people that cross your path say, yep, I resonate with them. I'm following their lead. Of course, you'd rather have the 49%. And the fear, the reason why people don't stick their stake in the ground is because they're afraid of the 51% that might disagree with them. They're looking at the pie as a whole and saying, oh my God, I can't alienate 51% of the people that I know believe in the other side or the other end of this argument. That'd be catastrophic. And what they are missing is the other, let's call it 39%, right? The 10% that'll follow you when you ride down the middle versus the 49% that said, yep, I understand where you, where you stand today. So I'm going to stand with you. They're missing out on that large number of individuals that would engage and purchase from them because they know where you stand in your beliefs and what you represent. And what's fascinating about this whole argument is there's no right or wrong side mm -hmm. and there never will be. Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong side. There is just telling the world what side you're on so that people can say, yep, that's my guy or that's my gal. That makes so much sense. And, you know, I think so many people are, I'm just immediately thinking about, you know, Grant Cardone and how many people are like put off by Great that. example. Yeah, but like, look at how many people are chiming in and the, the 10X movement is just, I mean, it's catapulted. It's insanity. 51% of people definitely hate that dude. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> I know where he stands. Mm -hmm. And there is comfort in knowing where somebody stands. Matter of fact, I'll take a step further. You don't even have to agree with people. You don't even have to say, oh, I like the way they act or I like the way they show up. A lot of times you'll engage with them because you know where they stand. And that's knowing where someone stands is trust. And trust is really powerful when it comes to building a personal brand. And let me put one more... Uh, piece of color on this, so to speak. When you put your personal brand first, you can pivot. You can take a left turn. You can take a right turn. You can do whatever you want in your business and know that that is going to still be successful because people love you mm. as a personal brand. They didn't love your company. They didn't love the widgets you were manufacturing. They didn't love the, you know, whatever your company was before that you want to pivot away from. They loved you when you became a personal brand. So my wife's a great example. First, she was really well known for fitness, you know, had 11 covers of fitness magazines and the whole nine yards. And one day she woke up and said, you know, I just want to do self-development. And she totally pivoted. And it was scary. I was like, babe, what are you doing? You're nuts. We got all this money coming in from fitness. She totally took a random right turn into self-development, went all in. 
But guess what? Because she was a personal brand, a good number of the fitness crowd loyally followed her to the personal development side. So she had a fast head start there. And then of course, went all in, grew that great big audience. And then one day woke up and said, you know, what? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to start a beverage company. And I said, what are you, what are you talking about? You don't want to do it anymore. Look at all the money coming in. Look at all the success that you're having. Nope. I want to start a beverage company. So once again, because she had a personal brand, a great big chunk of the people who were following her for self-development said, oh, beverage company, that sounds awesome. You want to talk more about entrepreneurship. That sounds awesome. You want to bring more women to the table and to talk about investing and, and to celebrate and have better conversations over cocktails. That sounds pretty cool. Now, listen, everybody didn't come over. She had fear around, oh my gosh, what if half of my audience thinks that alcohol is bad? What if half my audience you know, thinks it's horrible and we create an alcohol drink? Right. Remember, she was fitness and self-development before that. And a lot, a lot of people in fitness and self-development, they're anti-alcohol. Yeah. So there was fear there, but because she stuck her stake in the ground, it was very easy for the 49% to say, oh, that's my girl. Let's do it. Beverage company. All right. I'm coming along for the ride. Right. And, and now we're off to the races with that. Same thing with me. I've had this, this um, self-development and entrepreneurial brand for a long, long time. And we shut down every single Offering, we're talking millions of dollars of revenue, Mike. Every single offering this year that we used to offer, except for one, the Elite Mastermind, of course. And we are shifting into this peer-to-peer lending app that we're building. And I can't go into too much detail about it yet, but I know it's going to be a massive success because a large chunk of my audience already will come along for the ride and be enthusiastic about it. The enthusiasm that they're showing as I talk about it is insane. And to really put the cherry on top, the names that you would know and recognize, when I say you, I mean literally everyone listening, that want to invest and have even said, I want to take down the whole first round in your new fintech company. That's not because of the idea. Mm. That's because of the personal brand that we built and they know that it'll be a turnkey audience of loyal, excited individuals. That's the importance of a personal brand. Your freedom and your safety lies in having a personal brand. So good. And, you know, I want to kind of piggyback on everything you said, and then I'll just toss it back to you because when you go go on your tangents, as you called it, there's there's a a bunch of wisdom and genius there. So um, I'm curious because when I look backwards and I'm hearing everything you're saying, I mean, even my first business, it was 10 years and I planned on actually being in that business, you know, probably 30 or 40 years. But that's kind of like an old way of thinking. I mean, our, you know, our parents' generation, they they got a job and they had their pension and they planned on being there for 40 or 50 years. And I remember just even thinking back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I remember having conversations and when you'd see somebody's resume, if they had more than three or four jobs on their career over the last 15 years, you thought they were a job hopper. Yep. And nowadays, like there's so much not only in in the employee world, I mean, people, there, there's literally people that are working three jobs at a time because they're freelancers mm-hmm. or, or, you know, they change jobs every couple of years and that's not any longer really uncommon. And so I'm, I'm curious, uh, I, I think we even had this conversation around um, Raul Paul uh, talking about how we're in the exponential age. And yeah. so when we talk about all of this and the speed of, of change and you were talking about Lori and her transition and you and your transition and even just the time that we're in, I'm curious about 
uh, you know, what you see ahead, what do you see coming that you're paying attention to that most people aren't? And I know the conversation will kind of weave into this anyway, but just even back to the personal brand, I think that's why it's so important that we build that because we're no longer thinking in terms of, you know, what I'm going to do for the next 10 or 20 years, we could be shifting every year or two. So I think it's uh, crazy, but what do you see ahead? What do you see that's coming that most people are not paying attention to? I love and I hate my answer at the same time coming up. Uh, the metaverse, NFTs, cryptocurrency, all of the things that, so I'm a 44 year old, uh, person as, as those who are listening that can't see me right. I'm 44 years old at 44 years old. You have no interest in wearing goggles and virtually going out with your friends. You want to hang out in person, right? And, and you can't fathom, you can't understand how half of society is excited about all these virtual hangouts and all this other stuff. But here's what I know. Like it or not, it's coming. And it's not just coming. This is Internet 3.0. This is life-changing technology 3.0. This is the same time as back when the freaking internet was invented. Buying virtual land, having virtual assets, having NFTs, in, you know, knowing which cryptocurrencies to be involved in. Mm. Mike, this is the craziest time that we'll probably live during. And as I say that, I took pause because I realized, wait a minute, with exponential growth, right? So intelli more intelligence creates more intelligence, creates more intelligence faster, right? So with exponential growth, I say that this is the cra craziest time with the most opportunity that we're living during, but it actually probably isn't because now this technology will spawn a new technology that we didn't see coming and that technology will spawn. So you have to be nimble, you have to be interested and you have to be open. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will say, hey, you know, what's one trait that you think... Uh, you have this really saved your ass a lot of times or made you successful. And I'll say it's my openness. I am open to a future, even though I don't like how it might look. I am open to learning and investing in new things, even though I think invisible, non-tangible land sounds crazy. Matter of fact, I wired a hundred grand for some virtual land on Christmas Eve morning before the banks closed. It sounds crazy, but I know I have to be involved in it. And I know that everybody listening has to be involved in it. Here's why. My theory is that we are seeing so much wealth created so quickly because of these new technologies that are creating new opportunities that if you're not involved with this fast, rapid growing of new wealth, even the hardest working best people, smart people, are going to be left behind and struggle to even be middle class. Because what we consider to be a lot of money is permanently resetting. Mike, permanently resetting. In other words, if we think a million dollars was a lot before, I think a million dollars is going to be middle class at best mm -hmm. in the next 10 years. Yeah, I really do. And so you have to like it or not, choose to be involved in this new world and in this new opportunity. Study. There's nothing that Google and YouTube and a handful of books can't bring you up to speed on. Study your tail off, become interested and find where you might fit in these new opportunities and this new world. You don't have to be involved in all of it, mm -hmm. but I promise there is a spot where your interest and your expertise, once you start digging into it, will be a really good fit. Yeah. 
you know, you, you had brought this up earlier about the importance of being intentional with people and masterminds and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember you and I were at Pinehurst, um, with, with Kyle Depies golfing and, um, we were, it was one evening and we were having a conversation around Elon Musk and I made a comment. I said, well, you know what? It must be nice not having to worry about being profitable. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, totally. And, and you, you looked at me and you said, that sounds like a, a limiting belief that you need to work through. And I, I was so thankful for that. Cause you know, I mean, obviously nobody, nobody loves to, you know, just have a, a Chris Harder reach out and slap them a little bit, but, <laughs> but that's that, you know, if you, but really, that's what friends are for. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, it really, it caused me to step back and just think about how I was looking at everything, not just that one comment that I made. You went on to talk about some other things and the change in the time that we were in and, um, you know, just the, the genius behind him. And, and it really opened me up for a lot of what we're talking about right now, because whether we like it or not, or whether, you know, you even said when you started to answer the question, like you, you love and hate your answer that you're about to give yeah. because of where, but you can't fight the system. And, and I genuinely believe that we're probably in, we're in a period of time where the largest transfer of wealth that has ever existed is happening between an old generation and a new generation that's changing. I mean, the guard is literally I was speaking to a group of um, I, what I would consider traditional business owners last week in the HVAC world, and you can just see it, you know, the way of thinking in certain industries versus what's really coming at them and whether whether you want to believe it or whether you think it's coming or any, it, it's coming. And so the thing that I, I was going to say this, I'm so glad that I got to do 2020 with you, but I would argue that also on top of all of this, the, the velocity of change that is happening in the world right now, and even over the, I, I feel like some of us haven't even waken up from the largest shaking that will, that we've ever, I, probably any generation has ever seen in such a shortened, condensed period of time. And so it just goes to everything that you're saying. I think we're in such a time of high velocity of change that if we're not holding on and we're, if we fight the system at all, we're going to get crushed. Oh yeah. It's like a, for, for my surfers out there. If you try and, you know, paddle your board out so that you can surf back in, when a great big wave is coming up on you, you can't fight that wave. It's going to push you all the way back to shore. So what you can do is you can go over it or you can dip down into it, but there is no paddling through it. There is no fighting against that wave. It's coming whether you like it or not, and it's going to move you. That's the same thing with what's coming is the wave is so big. It's going to radically bring you all the way back to shore, metaphorically speaking, unless you choose to go over it or under it and give in to the power of what this thing is, is, you know, the, the magnitude of what's coming. Mike, we are seeing kids, kids become decamillionaires overnight, you know, six months time, 12 months time, because they get it. Mm -hmm. And when you said this might be the largest transfer of wealth, I'm going to say this is going to be the largest creation of wealth. They don't need us to transfer them their wealth. They don't need our dollars. They don't need to sell us a thing. That generation, the young generation that understands what's coming, they are creating so much wealth that any wealth that we have that we think was going to be a lot mm. is going to pale in comparison. And here's why it affects everyone listening. It's going to make everything that you want to buy significantly more expensive. Mm -hmm. Because when a 25-year-old kid just got a fresh 20 million bucks from some crypto NFT that they bought, you know, for a 50 grand, it turned into 20 million and it, 12 months later, 
Now they take that money and they go out and they bid on the house that you worked really hard and were about to bid on and they outbid you. That just happened to Lori and I as we were buying some homes out here in Paradise Valley. Mm -hmm. And then that car you want to buy or that boat you want to buy, they go and they say, oh, I'll give you 50 grand over sticker. I'll give you a hundred grand over sticker. And you're just like, what do you mean? I was, I was willing to pay MSRP and they get it, not you. And this has a trickle down effect into, oh, that Airbnb you want to rent for the, the family for the, the week for vacation. Nope. Somebody else came in and offered double. Mm. Everything is getting exponentially more expensive and it's not the old fashioned inflation. It is a permanent reset of what is a lot of money and what isn't. And it's driven by the new insane wealth that's being created by those that are willing to receive it and throw it around. <laughs> what do you even say to that? You know, it's interesting as you're even talking through it. I'm, uh, we, we were kind of talking about this off camera. I'm part of a group called Go Abundance, which I would consider, you know, um, more of a traditional, you know, type group, high net worth individuals. But, but it's interesting, even in that world, like how many of the guys that, you know, have been buying real estate for years are, are popping up in the, the threads, older guys by, by age, but they're young in mindset. So the age doesn't really matter. It's, it's being open to, you know, what's coming. And a lot of the guys in this group, so two things you said, number one, a million dollars isn't much anymore. GoBundance is talking about, you know, raising the bar because a million dollars of net worth really isn't the same measure of worth that it was, you know, three or four years ago, even, yep. even the last couple of years. But so number one, I agree with that. They're talking about raising the bar there, but number two, it's not really an age thing. It's a mindset thing. It just so happens that, you know, most older people can't get their head around it and don't want to change. But even in this group of sophisticated real estate investors, and you and I've had this conversation, you know, the blockchain and the technology and all this stuff is drastically affecting. It's going to continue to affect the way we do real estate, the way we raise capital, the way we buy things, um, title. I, I guarantee there's a day coming where title companies don't exist, where, nope. you know, the courthouse and all the old school ways of recording things don't exist. All, all that's blockchain. gone. It's all gone. Yeah. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily an age thing as far as like uh, years. It's an age around a mindset. Yeah. Are you still open to have to learn all over again? Because mm -hmm. that's what it is, right? Somebody might be 40, 50, 60, and be like, oh, come on. I was just starting to settle down. I found my groove. Why do I have to go learn this crazy new fictional world all over again? Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And if your response is, I don't want to do that, you're going to be quickly passed up and you're going to feel the pain because it's, it's changing so much quicker than ever before. But if your mindset is, all right, I'm willing to go learn about this crazy new world. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn about it. You're going to find out where you fit. You're going to find a Honestly, you're going to find an elegant and exciting way that you get to participate in it because it is such a big world that it, there's a fit for everybody. And then you're going to say, hey, this, this is pretty cool. I'm, I kind of got my, my mojo back. I'm kind of excited mm -hmm. to be in this new world because I see where I can fit into it, where my past experience, where my past expertise can fit into it, where I can add value or where I can take advantage of a lot of the movement that's going on. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, even just thinking about the value and, and like you were talking about the Airbnbs and all that. When I think about, you know, let's say a $10 million property in Paradise Valley or even a $5 million property, there's only a certain group of people that could afford that property from an investment standpoint, or maybe, you know, maybe a group of 10 friends go in on a property or five friends or whatever. Or we raise capital like we would traditionally and go through the Securities and Exchange Commission and all this complicated stuff. Well, the day is coming when, and again, you and I have talked about this so many times where you could literally just issue tokens against that home and have, you know, if it's a $5 million home, you could sell 5 million tokens at a dollar a piece, which opens up the market to so many more people. And so I'm curious of your, your thoughts. Does that 
if if more people have access to more properties, um, does that drive prices up or does that bring prices down? It's interesting. So I was thinking about this this morning on the walk, ironically, and not to the tune of like tokenizing your property and all that stuff, but just this idea of Airbnbs have allowed people to have a second home, so to speak, for a, a two weeks or a month or six weeks or eight weeks in a, let's say, a warm destination if they live somewhere cold that they wouldn't have been able to have before Airbnbs existed. Mm-hmm. So think about this. Your average middle or upper middle class individual, certainly, let's say they're living in, in Wisconsin, they're doing great, but they did not have the money to go buy a second home, per se, in Arizona for the winter. But now, because of the way you know Airbnbs cropped up and, and the way that work is more remote, now instead of buying a, a $2 million second home, now they can at least pay ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and stay for two or three months mm-hmm. at this home and rent the same one every single year and feel like they have a second home. Mm-hmm. That's a brand new possibility that was created out of innovation, out of the, the times changing, the world changing. So now you take that a step further to this tokenization of properties and whether it's of one property or whether it's multiple properties, it now takes again someone who did not have the the normal means to have lots of properties and it gives them the power to invest 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, $100,000 and be able to have access to maybe a home in Park City for a week or two and a home in in Green Bay, Wisconsin for a week or two and a a home in uh, Newport Beach for a week or two. It's giving access. And I know you asked about the affordability, but it's giving access to those who have never had access to participate before. And of course, other people are getting rich off of it. That's Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing. Sure, You're solving a problem. You're making people's lives better. And then those at the top, they're becoming very, very, very wealthy by doing it. Mm -hmm. So will this make properties more or less expensive? I think any time that speculation and the opportunity for profit is involved, it drives up the drives up the cost of goods sold. And in this case, the cost of goods sold is property. Yeah. And I don't think we're going backwards. Um, I'm no economist. I'm no futurist. But I think the next bubble popping, and you and I have talked about this, Mike, is that properties stay the same in value for a couple of years. Mm. I think that's the bubble popping. I think right now we are living in a time, and you know me, I've been anti-home ownership damn near my whole life. Not anti-income producing property, but anti-home ownership almost my whole life. I think that properties right now have a long ways to continue to go up despite what the economy does because now every single property who's buying them has changed. Now it's a giant fund that's saying, I'm going to snap up as many of these as possible and tokenize them and make profit off of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I... It, on that on that note too, and in, in the GoBundance group, there was just a, a post that was put out, and they're 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 lending now. They're doing forty year um, mortgages, fixed mortgages on second homes, Airbnbs, forty year, and they're also doing thirty year interest only loans on second homes and Airbnbs and those kind of things. And so, um, I, I love that whole analysis that you just did, and and I would. I would kind of piggyback on that and just say, you know, if 20% of or 25% of the population 
now has access, whether it's through NFTs at some point in time or these better, you know, lending, or we can get access to those second homes that we can rent out that we wouldn't have had access to before. So if you take literally 20 to 25% of homes that are sold every single year and take those out of the first time homeowner market pool, Mm -hmm. because they're now people that have access to second homes and investment properties and all of that, obviously that creates a supply problem. So I think that's a huge part of of what we're actually seeing. And so I appreciate you tying that together. And I think ultimately, yeah, at the end of the day, it just means prices continue to go up. And the last thing that I'll say on that too, um, I was on a call with Morgan Housel who wrote The Psychology of Money. And he said, things happen every day that have never happened before. And so even when we're, you know, like you said, you're no economist, you don't have a crystal ball. I've been trying to wrap my brain around this for the last couple of years. And you and I've had conversations left and right about this, but I don't really think that we have to try to figure it out because the reality is the only way that I feel like this fundamentally goes backwards is if something happens that has never happened before and we're all blindsided by it anyway. And so then therefore, like you can either decide you're going to sit on the sidelines, whether it's, um, you know. Uh, NFTs or whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's real estate or whether it's any of this, you can sit on the sideline or you can jump in and do the best that we possibly can and realize that when something crazy happens, you know, it's something that never happened before. Who would have thought a few years ago that COVID was going to shut down the whole country? Yeah. And here's the thing. It's your point, Mike. When something radical happens that has never happened before, most people see it as tragic. Most people see it as a horrible thing. And of course, COVID has been a horrible thing for the health and the deaths and, and, and the bad stuff that's come with it for many families. But there's always a handful of people mm. that immediately recognize the opportunity because nothing is inherently good or bad. It's what you make of it. And I was reading an article last night, uh, uh, this couple, you know, one was a, a fitness personality. The other was like a chiropractor. And they saw the shortage in COVID testing. And so they started popping up COVID testing sites in the very beginning. You know, we're talking some of the original gangsters of like, hey, I rented out a parking lot, drive through, I'll get you your results in 24 hours. And they were making over $8 million a day. Now picture a fitness personality and a chiropractor making $8 million a day from all of these locations that they quickly, you know, went, sought out, popped up and were able to provide people results that they wouldn't get otherwise. I used some of these testing facilities. They were convenient, right? You got to catch a flight or you got to go somewhere. That was the example of somebody recognizing the opportunity in something that has never happened before. So as long as you are able to mitigate the downside and mitigate the bad parts that come along with it Hmm. and keep your, your lenses on, that you always see opportunity through, then when there's catastrophic shifts in the way that we are as humanity, those equal massive, never seen before opportunities to profit in a way that we have never seen before as humanity. It just depends what side you want to be on. So good. One last question. I want to be respectful of your time. So, you know, I love the phrase that you say over and over when good people make good money, they do great things. And you were talking about being intentional, you know, surrounding yourself with amazing people. And if there's one thing that I've learned, um, you know, and I've said this a lot from a, you know, whether it's a good perspective or a bad perspective, I learned a ton from my real dad who was 
frankly, a shithead. You can learn as much, you know, watching somebody from a negative perspective as you do a positive. And I have learned so much. I, you, you wouldn't even know the things that I've learned from watching you. But when you talk about being intentional and surrounding yourself with amazing humans, um, you are probably one of the most connected yet also, you know, benevolent, most giving. You're always just connecting people. Is that something that's natural to you? Have you always done that? Is that, I'm curious, um, is that is that a learned trait? It's interesting. Uh, a mentor of mine and a dear friend, Lewis Howes, we had a conversation one time many years back. And he said, I think I was asking him, honestly, a very similar question, like, hey, how is it that you're so connected? And, and why are you always connecting people? And, and et cetera, et cetera. And he said he intentionally keeps an eye out every single person he meets for what does this person need and what does this person have to offer? And then he connects the people with the needs and the things that they have to offer. Mm. And the more people that you can connect in life, the better off your life is going to get. You don't always have to be in on the action. Just making other people's lives better by introducing people with needs to people with solutions. You do that consistently enough and you're going to gain a reputation as somebody to be around, somebody that solves problems for others. And that's just an intentional muscle that you can build by looking for it and acting on it on a regular basis. So good. Well, I want to thank you again for your just contribution to the world and what you've done for Kara and I. Um, my mindset over the last few years has just been completely expanded by you and Lori and just the community that you've built, the people that you know you keep around you. And um, just so honored, I said it at the beginning, but this show wouldn't exist. Um, I don't, I don't know how much of anything we're doing today would exist if it hadn't been for you and, you know, the couple's mastermind and everything we're putting together. So I just appreciate the way you show up and the impact you're making on the world. Well, listen, the, the gift that the two of you have been in our world has been immeasurable. We love you guys to death. You guys are family. And, uh, there are so many great memories that we've already been able to create together and, uh, so many more memories coming. So we're just getting started, buddy. Congrats on episode 200. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. So good. If I hadn't launched, remember, I was going to have to give up my uh, family summer vacation. Yep. That was my my negative. So I'm, gl I'm glad we launched. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big deal, man. You guys got to celebrate this milestone. Matter of fact, I'm going to hold you guys accountable to how are you going to celebrate this milestone? Mm, that's good. I'll have to, I'll have to think about that. So appreciate you. Uh, love you and Lori. Um, any last words? Yeah. Listen, the world's a crazy place and it can be crazy bad or it can be crazy opportunistic see it as crazy opportunistic and you're going to end up on the right side of all this. Nice. I'm pretty sure if anybody searches Chris harder, they're going to find you, but what's your preferred method for people to track you down? Always hit me up on Instagram at Chris W harder. Um, I've made a vow to answer anyone's business questions that slide into my DM. So check it out there, Chris W harder. And I send out a positive perspective every single morning that I wake up. Sometimes it's around money, sometimes it's around business, but uh, I used to wake my wife up to a mantra or still do for years. I've woken my wife up to a mantra and she said, Hey, you should do that for, for other people too. It feels good. So thousands of people now I text first thing when I wake up. And if you want that, you just text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. Again, text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. And I'll text you when I wake up as well. Awesome. Love and appreciate you, man. Right back at you. Love and appreciate you, Mike. Thank you. 
If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.